This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Buck Sexton Show. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Mere days away from the election. Oh my, things are heating up. The media is at DEFCON 1, or maybe TrumpCon 1. Nuclear war is imminent in their eyes. The propaganda fight is at its absolute height right now. So many sources you will see in all these different hit pieces on either side are anonymous. Uh, No one's coming out to verify one thing or another. There's just all these stories, all this stuff out there because you can't unring the bell. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Once the election happens, then we have our next commander-in-chief. There's no do-over. doesn't matter if the referees were bought off. It doesn't matter what happens. This is going to be it. And everyone knows that the media hasn't managed what they thought they could by this point, which was to make it a fait accompli, make it already done. I, I remember, what was it, maybe two weeks ago? We were told the polls were so uh, so clearly favorable to Hillary that there was no chance Donald Trump would have no chance that it was all over and that we should just focus on down ballot races. Now, even the most pro Hillary outlets are saying, well, it's narrowed. It's within a few percentage points. But they're not covering this as though it's just a decision between two flawed Americans You can make the case for which one you personally find more flawed. I obviously find Hillary Clinton to be uh, completely and utterly uh, morally, ethically grotesque. Uh, And I find her rapacious greed and usage of public office for her own personal benefit to be just completely beyond the pale. I can't stomach it. I can't be okay with it. I can't vote for her and I can't allow Um, I can't allow myself to stand idly by while she tries to seize the most powerful office in the land. But the media is upset right now. You can tell. And you're seeing pieces, places like the New York Times, the editorial page, refers to Trump. This is, uh, I won't even say his name. I don't want to give him the credit of 
speaking about him on the show. Uh, an existential threat, though, is one of the pieces that I saw today. That's what Trump is an existential threat to this country. Um, and then the piece goes on. Trump is a bigot. Trump is a demagogue. Donald Trump is a sexist, misogynist, chauvinist pig. He's a bully. He's a cheat. He's a pathological liar. He's a nativist. He's a racist. He's a, you know, he's a rapist. He's going to nuke Sweden. Why is everybody yelling? Anything they can do now to tip the scales in favor of their preferred candidate, anything they can do to make it happen for Hillary, they will. And here's the problem they have. Um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a Chesterton quote here. Idolatry is committed not merely by setting up false gods, but also by setting up false devils. By making men afraid of war or alcohol or economic law when they should be afraid of spiritual corruption and cowardice. We should be afraid of corruption and cowardice. We should not be focused on false devils. Well, if we're talking about corruption, I don't think there could be anything greater. I don't think there's any greater monument to corruption than the scheme of of the Clinton Foundation, really the Clinton Corporation, uh, that has, think about the, the precedent that this sets. Now, I know in some ways there are laws that only, there are exceptions to laws, rather, that only apply to the Clintons. We've already seen that happening. That's the case. But others will certainly take a look at what's gone on with the Clintons, with the Clinton Foundation, and think, well, why couldn't I pull that off? Something along those lines. More importantly, it erodes the respect that all of us should have for the law. One of the pillars of Western civilization, and I, I really mean that, and this has been long established, this sense that all of us live under a law that is more or less to be respected. It's not perfect. It's not always, it's often imperfectly applied, but it's, it matters and it's important. The Clintons undermine that very basic concept. Um, and they have corrupted so many others along with them, including many in the media who, as we see, will do anything. They will, as I was saying, telling you yesterday, they will debase themselves in an effort to help push Hillary across the finish line. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to help Madame Secretary, that is what they will do. Now, there are some very interesting, as, as we're sitting here and talking about the possibility um, of, well, the possibilities of a very big last-minute surprise here. I have to say, one that I mentioned yesterday on, on air when we had John Schindler on, I've been thinking about this for a while, and in fact, I spoke to a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine from the military side of, uh, of things many months ago about this, and we were going back and forth and just said, look, if... If the Russians are the ones that have Hillary's emails, they could have gone through them and they could be waiting to release them for maximum impact. I don't know if the best stuff will come before the election or after the election. In a sense, I think that the Russians would actually prefer Hillary to uh, win. And I know that people say, no, Buck, but what about all the help that they've been giving to Trump along the way? Well, I think the assumption is that she's going to win anyway. Um, but whoever the if, if she does win, they have enough on her that she'll be a president who is completely compromised from the start. 
most importantly in the eyes of the American people. Maybe the DOJ can sit on the corruption case, can squash it, can do whatever is necessary to avoid bringing charges against Hillary Clinton because she's just too important to the Democratic Party. But that doesn't mean the American people will continue to be fooled by all this or ignore it or not care about it. Uh, I see now Fox has a piece up saying that uh, authorities now believe there is about a 99% chance that up to five foreign intelligence agencies may have accessed and taken emails from Hillary Clinton's private server Two separate sources with intimate knowledge of the FBI investigations told Fox News. That's that's from today. Now, look, we don't know exactly what the truth is there, right? We don't know entirely what the reality is of that situation. I don't know if those are sources that can be trusted or not. Okay? I'm not entirely certain uh, that that's an accurate statement, except for the fact that when I look at it and I work back in my mind, okay, she used this email. She's the Secretary of State. She's not traveling incognito in these countries. They all know she's there, and she's using a private server. And you say, oh, Buck, well, what if she used an unclassified State Department server? Wouldn't they be able to get into that? Maybe. Less likely, but maybe. There's also much greater chance that the intrusion would be detected. But more importantly... If she was using an unclassified State Department server, she would know that everything on there is public record, which means she would be careful about whether there was classified material uh, going across that server and being stored on it. Or that the emails that she was receiving, if they had classified in them, she would recognize that as a security threat. You see, she thought that this was all kind of in the back pocket and nobody could see, and therefore she didn't really care. And that's how you get over 100 emails, including emails with special access program data in them on a completely unsecure server. And that's how you use that server or you access that server by sending emails when you're on foreign soil of technologically savvy adversaries who can get access to this stuff. The uh, now the problem we've got here is that you got people like uh, House Homeland Security Committee Chairman Michael McCall calling this treason. We don't need to call it treason. We, we, we don't need to start the hyperbole train here. OK, it was the violations of the Espionage Act that we're talking about do not amount to treason, but they are certainly criminal infractions and they have been swept away by the Department of Justice. They've made this go away for Hillary. I don't know if they can make all the corruption stuff go away. We'll see. They're going to try. We've seen that, too. But at least let me put out this uh, this idea before the election happens. And it might not we might not know if this is the case before the election, but it certainly is a possibility. We could wake up on Monday morning. And WikiLeaks, which has been the single most effective Clinton oppo research arm out there say what you will about it they've done more, they've done more damage wikileaks has done more damage to the clinton campaign than all of conservative media in the last 30 to 60 days put together it's not even close now granted conservative media has been running with the information and, and played a big role in getting it out there otherwise we wouldn't even know about this wikileaks stuff you know that and social media changes the game 
But WikiLeaks has been very effective. Perhaps they've got a little more. I know there's a lot of rumors out there, and, and I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. But just imagine for a second. I mean, this is a year where even apparently the Cubs can win the World Series. I don't, I don't even pay attention to this. I don't watch baseball. I should get cable probably. Maybe I'm just going to break down and do it. The Cubs can win the World Series. It seems like anything, therefore, should be somewhat possible, right? This is what everyone's saying now. In, in, in a year where the Cubs can win, Donald Trump might be able to win. But maybe in a year when the Cubs can win a pseudo-transparency outfit with ties to the Kremlin uh, that has no problem sharing U.S. diplomatic and military secrets with the rest of the world just to stick a thumb in our eye. But in this whole process, they may be able to release a lot. Just all it takes is a few. All it takes is a few emails that that cannot be explained away. Uh, what is the what does dump mean? Does dump mean share? Or does it mean get rid of? Okay, uh, we we can we can argue over this, right? Fine. All it takes is a few emails in that whole batch. If the Russians or some other intel uh, agencies from another country got access to them, they could change the course of a U.S. election. And if WikiLeaks is the vessel, then I suppose we'd have to say they played a part in changing the course of this. Imagine they have all the stuff that Hillary really didn't want anyone to see, which is why she set up the server in the first place. And some of that, the best, the best excerpts, the best tidbits pop up on sites and on the news across the country on Monday morning, you know, 9 a.m. You're going to tell me you don't think that's going to maybe just narrow that gap in the polls a little more? This is the world we live in now. The Democrats can complain about collusion with the, as Carville said, the KGB. I think he meant the FSB all the time. It doesn't change the reality that, yeah. Yeah, once the information's out there, even the Democrats can't make it disappear. This is wild stuff. Sponsors half hours, Yankee Hill Machine. Go to YHM.net, guys. You'll see it for yourself. It's the best way to get a sense of this fantastic firearms manufacturer they're up in massachusetts they love what they do i've told you before i've been out with them i've been shooting with them they they pay very close attention to every step in the process and they just really love the second amendment they love firearms and they started out as just a sort of simple family operation they stay true to that tradition but to this day they're all about quality and they're all about precision in their craftsmanship YHM.net's where you go. You can see their AR-15, see their sound suppressor, see all of the stuff they're making up there in Massachusetts. I've seen it. It is awesome. You should definitely check it out. Go to YHM.net for Yankee Hill Machine. Again, YHM.net. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. 
If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Obama's pleading with voters, pleading with them, please, please, anything, anything, anyone but Trump. Play clip one. You know, here's one thing I know. If in the middle of a game, you're spending all your time arguing with the rest and starting to make excuses about how you're going to lose because the refs aren't doing the right thing, then you're a loser. And you shouldn't win. This guy is temperamentally unfit to be commander-in-chief, and he is not equipped to be president. I hate to put a little pressure on you, but the fate of the republic rests on your shoulders. The fate of the republic rests on your shoulders. Most important, most consequential election in history, right? That's what we're always told. That's what we are supposed to believe. Um, This one... I don't know. I th- we're going to talk more about this in the second hour, actually. But I'm not even sure how different the outcome would really be uh, in some ways. Because if this is where the American people are, if we just accept that this is the best we can do on both sides, there's a part of me that feels like we're already lost. But I, I want to go on a happy note here. So let me try to find some. What's the happy note? Um, we'll all be okay. That's the happy note, I suppose. Hey, the Cubs won. So there's that. Uh, And it's going to be fun, at least, I think, for those of us who have opposed Hillary all along. It's going to be fun for us to uh, be in a position to point out all of her failings and foibles and all the rest of it for four years. So that's kind of an upside. Get a lot of material. And if Trump wins, I guess we'll see. Maybe he'll be better than a lot of his conservative critics think he'll be. Maybe Trump will be, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've got my polling place a couple blocks from where I live. I'm going to show up. I I would really be curious to know how many people in my part of Manhattan in particular will vote for Trump. I'm going to guess very, very few or Evan McMullen. I got to check. I don't even think he's on the ballot. I assume Gary Johnson is. But the more I've learned about Gary Johnson, and particularly Governor Weld from Massachusetts, the less likely I am to even refer to them as, uh, less likely to refer to them as libertarians. They're really kind of like liberals with a libertarian streak. Uh, and this notion that it's all going to there will be some clarity on Election Day, I can say that. There'll be some clarity for sure. But this stuff is going to stretch out well beyond. Uh, Hillary will have no mandate if she wins. She will have uh, no goodwill from the other side. She'll have lied and lied and lied all throughout the primary. And the agenda that she's going to want to ram through is certainly not going to be rubber stamped or or pushed uh, or accepted in any way 
by a Republican-controlled House and Senate, I would think, perhaps up to and including just leaving it at eight Supreme Court justices. The Senate, if it stays Republican, doesn't doesn't have to doesn't have to push through any Supreme Court justice. They don't have to. Uh, some people think that's such a radical idea, but you know, you can argue with whether they should, but they don't have to. So it's going to just continue on like this. There's not there will be no honeymoon period, as I've said. There's not going to be any moment where the country comes together and decides that, you know, we're going to give this Hillary Clinton person a chance to, you know, show us what she's got. We know what she's got. And it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, It is disheartening, I think, for all of us. And the more we find out about uh, the way that the multiple, I think it's five criminal investigations that involve either the Clintons directly or or close associates of the Clintons. The five real FBI investigations uh, about things that could send normal people to prison. I mean, I don't think the Clintons, I don't think anybody around them are going to go to prison. But for a normal person, this would be a real concern. You know, for you, for me, there would be the possibility of getting sent away. Not for the Clintons, though. We are enabling a crime family to take over the United States government right now. And, and the media is cheering it on. Uh, I just, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it some days. I really am. Uh, that This is where we are on all of this. And I've got to think that a sort of standard Republican candidate would be way ahead. But maybe the country has gotten so polluted with corruption and our minds have been so warped by what the media tells us to accept that More than half the country thinks Hillary Clinton's actually okay. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we've got national elections, including, of course, presidential election in just a few days. This whole thing is coming to quite a conclusion. I'm sure you've got thoughts on it. I would love to hear them. 888-900-3393. How do you feel about the uh, chances of either candidate or any candidate? What do you think about the media's role in all this? You think WikiLeaks might have one last big sucker punch for the Clinton campaign in store? I don't know. I want to know what you think, though. 888-900-3393. Denise in Oklahoma, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Shield Tide, Buck. Shield Tide, Denise. What's up? Well, I'm going to make a prediction, and I usually don't do this. But the momentum is behind Trump. And they say he's got to flip some blue states and, you know, that his path is narrow, but it's widening because of all the scandals on the Clintons. Mm -hmm. I think the scandals are finally catching up with her. And I think there are just going to be some Democrats that say, I can't do it. I, I can't pull the lever for her. And they may sit home. I mean, that certainly but seems think, to be I, th- I think your your point here is, is supported by what we've seen in the polls in the last week. I think there have been 
there has been a fair amount of of movement against Hillary, and I think we would have to attribute that to uh, the fact that she's got this email problem, this whole situation going on. Right, and I mean, you know, the the conclusion that Comey came to in July was just, I'm not a lawyer, but it was absurd. I mean, it anybody else would have went to jail. My late husband served in the Air Force. He had a top security clearance. And I remember him saying, you know, if we even so much as mishandled one document, you know, we would have been in Leavenworth. I mean, it's it's a very it's taken very very seriously for everybody else. I I had a TS uh, a TS clearance with you know with the, some other fancy letters that come after it, which people in the CIA have. Uh, and the the truth is, this would have never this would have been unthinkable. I mean, if somebody I can tell you this thing is, if somebody that I worked with had sent me an email at, on my personal on my personal account, my personal email, not my in no way affiliated with my work account, if they had just said, hey. You know what about this thing, and you know that's going on in this place, and I and I saw it, and I realized that it was really classified. I mean, I would have practically had a heart attack. <laughs> that, that's the yeah. truth. I would have been like, oh my god, right. now I've got you know what do I I, I got to go in? I got to talk to security. They're going to want to you know they're going to want to scrub this, but they can never really scrub it. And why did this person send this to you? And you know, and that's for one. So you got to think cool. for Hillary Clinton. I mean, either she's an idiot or she didn't care, and I don't think she's an idiot. No, I don't either. And I think the intent, which was the high bar that Comey set, said he couldn't prove intent, just having the private server with, as he put it, less security than Gmail, that server was the intent. Yes, this is why I don't like the the story. And Denise, uh, good to hear from you. Thank you for calling from Oklahoma. Shields high. The story that this was a good faith accident, we need to dispense with that. This wasn't this wasn't an accident like Hillary was. And there's been some reporting about similar things, by the way. Someone on her staff left classified in a hotel room. That's the sort of thing where you get written up and people yell at you and, and you can get your clearance suspended. But people generally understand or, or the, the, the usual outcome of that is not getting fired is not uh, losing, you know, is not go, getting, going, going to prison. You might get fired, but you probably won't go to prison for that because it is actually an accident. And unless it's truly gross negligence, uh, you know, things, things happen, right? There's a lot of classified information out there. There's a lot of overclassified information out there. Things happen. But the server wasn't a good faith error, right? This is, she was, uh, th- this is sort of like if, if a burglar breaks into your home and, on to, and, and they break into your home and, oh, by the way, uh, they also happen to knock over a couple of priceless, you know, artifacts that you have in your living room. I don't know, you know, I don't know how many of you have those, but I'm sure somebody listening has like George Washington's sword or something. Uh, just based on the Team Buck people that I know, I'm sure somebody's got some cool stuff. And that'd be a fun thing one day. I, I, w- I just want people to call in maybe on Friday and tell me the most valuable or interesting random thing they have in their home, you know, artifact or or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, if you have like a, if you have a pet. Uh, marsupial of some kind i'd be curious to know about that you know if you have a uh i don't know i said george washington sword but other stuff like that too you know a pipe that belonged to churchill i'm sure you've got some stuff all right i'm getting distracted so uh where were we a second where was i before i went off on that little tangent do we know what was it security clearance thank you 
yeah, if you lose your if you lose papers or you do something like that. Oh, sorry, the burglar. If the burglar knocks it over and destroys it, he doesn't then get to turn around and say, "Yeah, but I didn't I didn't mean to because I was only in the house to steal stuff. I wasn't in the house to destroy stuff." That's not good faith. <laughs> That's kind of the way Hillary Clinton is arguing on the email server situation. She's saying, "Well, you know, or or the, people like Obama are saying she made a mistake." It's like, "No, it wasn't a mistake. It was a very calculated decision over a long period of time that anybody Look, when this when this first came out, I remember thinking to myself, if that's really what she was using for all official business uh, or for a majority of official business and there was a lot of classified that was on there and she didn't care, this is a big problem. That was right away. I mean, that was before we knew any of the details. Just that was when I heard that she was running a private server and that she was conducting most of her business on that on that private server. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Bad news. Bad news. But yeah, it's not a good faith error. That's what I'm trying to get out here. It is not a good faith error. It is an error that comes out of a willful, uh, a knowing and willful choice to try to hide information that should be shared with the public from the public for the purpose of continuing in corrupt schemes and various Clintonian machinations. Julian San Antonio, Texas. Great to have you on the Freedom Hut. What's up? Hi, I'm back. <clears throat> I just got to thinking that. It doesn't matter, I don't believe, which one of these two people get in. Um, but I'm just wondering if it's going to be enough to get people off their rear ends and get the Convention of States done. Because we're going to have to put a stop to some of the shenanigans that, that either one of them are going to do. Uh, and I'm just wondering if this is going to be, what your your thoughts are, if it's going to be enough of a... Uh, boost that the convention of states finally goes through. I'll, I'll tell you something. You know, I've been, I've spoken to a few people recently who aren't really politicos, but are very savvy in the financial world, and that's a little outside of my bailiwick, Julie, uh, or, or or it is outside my bailiwick. But I've got family members who have worked in finance, and I have some familiar. I've seen the movie Wall Street about a thousand times, so you know, I feel like I know some things. Uh, and I can tell you this. There's a there there are some out there who make a very valid point about our politics through the lens of uh, finance and money, and that's the following: until our lifestyles are dramatically impacted by what's going on, uh, meaning in, until we we have a, a a real economic crisis that people I mean, people refer to the old economic crisis, and yeah, there were lost jobs and lost homes, but there weren't you know shortages of food, there weren't uh, there wasn't uh, runaway inflation. There, there, there wasn't the sort of catastrophic uh, symptoms of other financial panics and crashes, right? So, yes, people lost jobs, but and and it was very bad for them. A lot of people lost homes, and it was scary for a moment there. We thought all the banks would fall down. If we have a major reset, if well. we have a uh, reset that brings pain home to people financially, then I think we can talk, you know, then all of a sudden people say, well, we, what are we going to do here in a convention of the states? Of course, the Democrats are going to try to push for even more government and state control after the government and the state have uh, have sort of ruined, ruined the economy through many of the regulations and such in the first place. But that's where I see all this going. Um, that's how I see this shaking out. I, I, I think that until people really feel it 
You know, even with Obamacare, you see people say, oh, look how bad it are. is. Obamacare only only affects right now directly in a way that they can point to it people in the individual market. So most of us are kind of, eh, we'll weather the storm. We'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Well, what he's wanting to do is put in universal, and so does yeah. she. And that's yeah. the only way we're going to put a stop to this government takeover of our health care. And it's like Ben Carson said, it has nothing to do with health care. It has to do with control. And we didn't set up a government to control us. It's time we took back control of our government, and that's what the Convention of States will do. If if we can get it going, I, I've read a little bit about the Convention of the States, uh, and I know there are other other hosts and pundits out there who are big proponents of it. Uh, it is a complicated and long process, and it is kind of a hail mary. Uh, but we may be in a hail mary situation, um, yeah, or not. We we'll have be. yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, you've got thank you for calling in, Julie. By the way, I appreciate it. Good to hear from you from San, uh, in San Antonio. In, until uh, we can't afford things and until people feel like they are in a finan- in a real financial bind and I mean when I mean people I mean much of the country uh, we're not going to get any dramatic change in things if they can keep the bread and circuses going if you know as long as we've got as long as, as I, I keep going back to Solzhenitsyn as long as we're safe and warm and fed I guess we'll accept these kinds of politicians for the foreseeable future um, and look I, I, I want to make sure there's no mistake about it I'm going Trump over Hillary and and I am I am not excited about that, but I am doing that. And and if anyone asks me for my advice on it, which I know none of you are asking me for advice, but I'm just sharing this in the spirit of openness and friendship, and because I feel like it, we're on I'm on radio. Uh, I would tell them I think that I think that I think that stopping Hillary has to be the goal. I really do, because uh, I, I have zero respect for her as commander in chief. I will have zero respect for her. I mean, I would not. If I were back in the CIA, I, I would not want to brief this person. I would not want to work for this person. I would not want to be around this person. I think this person has sold the government for her own purposes. I think that she has put her own very narrow and selfish needs ahead of the American people time and again in a way that's illegal, not just in a way that's unscrupulous and uh, gross. She's gross. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. I've got much more. Stay with me. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. You'll notice that uh, the love fest for for Comey is uh, that's a thing of the past now. I I am a little surprised. Oh, I shouldn't say surprised. I think it's mm, it should be an error for Obama to come out and say that Comey is operating under on innuendo because the response to that, of course, is just well, let's let's appoint a special prosecutor. Let's cut the nonsense, yo. Let's get this party started quickly. I just want, I think one day I'm just going to have to do like 90s day in the Freedom Hut where I just get to bust out all my favorite 90s slang. And I, I wish we could play music on the show. I don't have the rights to do that. Otherwise, I would be sitting here 
and you know busting out like all kinds of stuff everything from biggie to duncan chic yeah that's right the wallflowers stone temple pilots it would be so 90s licious up in here i'd like to do that one day do like a 90s themed freedom hut show the problem is the music is a huge part of it and this is audio so i guess my idea sounds cooler than it would really be uh, other than coming up with do you remember when people used to say things were fat and that was the P-H-A-T? That was a thing that lasted for a hot minute. Uh, I don't even know what the cool kids say anymore for cool. I've been told that you can still say dope, which is which is good because occasionally that comes out of my mouth. Um, not a lot of people run around saying home slice, which is makes me kind of sad. Uh, also, I think if I recall the 90s, people would refer to, they would say, what's up, money, money or money grip or something like that? I don't know. It's been a long time. Been a long time. Uh, what is it now? Oh, Pelosi on Comey. Pelosi among among the among the dumbest senior officials in the United States government, and I say that with with just complete honesty and, and openness to you. Among the dumbest, as explained to me by somebody who interacted with her frequently, the cold dead eyes of a goat. Uh, Pelosi on Comey. Maybe he's not in the right job. Play clip two. I think he made a mistake on this. And he clearly has a double standard when it comes to uh, Donald Trump. And these jobs, if you're not in it for a while, you can't take the heat. And I think he just couldn't take the heat from the Republicans. Maybe he's not in the right job. This is the great irony of Democrats. They basically control the system, but they pretend not to trust the system. And they have no respect for the system. That's really a better way to say it. They control the system and they do not respect the system. So they control it. And if it doesn't go their way, they'll throw it under the bus, even though they're the ones with their hands on the levers of power. Happens time again. Comey was a genius, a saint, a brilliant man, a scholar, a statesman, incorruptible. And then all, all he said was, yo, we got some new emails. We got to go through them. Booyah. And that's it. And now he's terrible. He shouldn't be in the job. I've I've never seen an election before. I, I've never felt like there was a moment in American politics before when so many people would just throw their credibility onto the pro-Hillary bonfire. I mean, they're just lining up, lining up to make a mockery of themselves one after another. Uh, Pelosi, among the most obvious ones, but there are so many others, too. All right, hour two. We got a lot more to talk about. I might even get a chance to get into some uh, some non-election stuff within a segment or two. So get excited about that, team. We've got much more coming. Back in a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. Welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Hour two is already upon us. 
show is flying by today. We're joined by our friend David Harsanyi. He is the senior editor. Uh, he is a senior editor at The Federalist. You can read his latest at thefederalist.com. Also follow him, David Harsanyi, spelled like it sounds, on Twitter. Great to have you, David. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I, I just I like this headline because it makes me feel better on uh, on the inside. Uh, this is the least important election of our lifetimes. You're right in the Federalist. Oh, please do tell why. <laughs> a, for, this is the this is the sort of column where you come up with a headline, and then you're like, I'm going to have to like make this happen now somehow. So, you know, everyone says every election is the most important election, which always annoys me. But I actually have some good reasons for it. I think that let's say Hillary wins. Um, in essence, I think, and let's say Republicans hold the House at least and maybe the Senate, I think what you're going to have is just another four years of the sort of gridlock that we've had before. I don't think that uh, the, the trajectory of the country is going to change as much as people think. I'm not saying elections don't hold consequences. Obviously, they do. But I'm, you know, when you look at history, I think that sometimes we tend to believe that what's happening to us at this moment is the most important thing that could ever be happening. And perhaps that's true for us, but I don't think that that's true for history generally. I also saw the, the part of your argument, and by the way, I do, I, this it, it is a phenomenal headline, and then I know you did have to sort of, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, own up to that headline of the rest of the piece, which I think, it, I, think yeah. you, I think you did admirably. Um, but also the the idea that uh, whether it's Hillary or Trump, there are still very serious structural problems, including the temperament and judgment of the American voter. Uh, but then there's also just sort of the the, the size, scope, and trajectory of the federal government and uh, the infringements on individual liberty and the size of the debt. I mean. There are huge problems that remain that really neither candidate is particularly well-equipped to fix. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that, too. I, first of all, I don't think either of these two are, are competent or smart enough to destroy the country in four years. At least that's my hope. But I also think, yeah, I mean, I think we have problems. Obviously, these candidates are a reflection of something else that's going on. In my opinion, it's a reflection of real discord on the right um, and sort of a split of that party and on the left. Sadly, from what I see, I think there's a normalization of corruption, of any means necessary to get to the ends that you want. And I think there's a lot of that going on in the left. It's very dangerous. So gridlock, I think, it's, which is the organic reflection of what the country's about right now, is a good thing. And uh, not a lot's going to get done. Obviously, the Supreme Court's there, and that's a serious, uh, you know, that, that is, a, is a serious issue that a lot of people should worry about. But I, at least I am not convinced that either of them will do a good job on that front anyway. So I, I do worry for the Constitution, but not because of this election, because of the trajectory we're on. What do you think about the uh, what do you think about this idea that's floated out there by some that, you know what, this if the Senate stays Republican, they don't have to put anybody in until there's a next president. They could keep it at eight. I'm completely for it. Unless, nice. of course, unless Hillary puts forward, you know, some constitutionalists, some originalists or something, which is not going to happen. It is irrelevant to me, just as an aside, how moderate or non-moderate the judge is, or the justice would be, because a vote is a vote on the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter to me that he's only a little bit for abortion or a lot for abortion, and um, or it shouldn't matter to a voter. And I'm for it because it will. I think I think you have 
a person in Hillary, for instance, who essentially is against the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment. I think it's the job of the Senate to say that we have to try to preserve the Constitution. What's going on is wrong. And we're going to have a split Supreme Court for a while. So I think that's the argument they should make. I don't know if they have the people who can make that in a compelling way to convince enough Americans. But uh, I think, yeah, I'm all for more gridlock. Absolutely. You know, I had a caller on before who asked me when when do people when do people wake up or, or when is there a sort of public uh, uprising for real change, uh, a political uprising for for real change from the way government currently functions? I mean, a, a lot of what's happened over the past year, it seems to me, is an outgrowth of years of people on, on a lot of people on the right saying that the Republicans are basically just as bad as the Democrats, that they're they're sellouts, that they they say one thing to raise money and then they do another in D.C. And while all of that may be true, it's like, OK, well, at what point do we actually change things or what would it take? I've I've started to get to the point where I, I feel like in, unless it really hurts people day to day financially, unless there's a real Essentially, we reach the point where everyone's like, "Okay, so treasury bonds like we all realize this is a joke, right? This is this is not this is actually we're never going to pay off the debt. And uh, we've been propping up our currency with all these different games until people have trouble or rather until bread becomes five times more expensive. You don't really have a a, a public quorum to do anything that different from what we're going to get anyway. Or, Or what do you think? I don't know. There's sort of a weird dynamic going on. In many ways, the lives of people are better. Right. I mean, the we have. You know, we live longer. We have like any kind of quantifiable way. For most people, things are better. For many people, as usual, there are problems, obviously. But generally speaking, we're not living in the Great Depression here. And um, but there's really something going on that really is upsetting people about government. And I get that. I I think there's a frustration. Uh, There are expectations set by politicians that can't be met. You know, it's a it's a it's a ton of different things you mentioned with some other things as well. So. Um, I get that, but I, I'm a little, I am a little bit confused by what people expect from their government, and maybe this is just a lack of understanding what government does. Yeah, you, you know, I want change. I want. I wish we lived in a libertarian country, you know, and it was just like complete capitalism, very little regulation. But that's not what my neighbor wants. And at some point, we have to figure out where we're going to meet and how it's going to work out for both of us. So, at the people who want big change. You know, there are a bunch of other people who want big change in a different direction. So that's why we are where we are. And I think there is the big problem is that we've one group and the other group no longer view the Constitution at all in the same way. We don't view the American project in the same way. We have completely different ideas about where it should go, not just like policy differences, but just overall, we, we have a completely di- di- diverged in our ideas about America. And that, I think, is is leading to what what's happening now, which is uh it's not a good thing. Do you think it's fair to say that the, the sort of central, uh, the, the id or the ethos or the, 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 I don't know, you know, the spirit animal of the Democratic Party, people do that, uh, doesn't really care about the Constitution at all anymore, only, only engages in discussions about the Constitution as a means of uh, counteracting or counterbalancing Republicans pointing at it and saying, we've got a government that's set up this way to do the following things, and this is sort of our founding document that's supposed to you know, be the be the baseline of all this stuff. Democrats will argue about it, but I feel like there's a, a large swath of the Democratic Party, or certainly, I, I mean, this, the people that are pushing agendas and, and are pushing forward policy, 
who would just as soon be done with the whole thing and start all over. I, I, I don't think they have any reverence for the Constitution. I think they actually view it as kind of not even just quaint, but uh, but an anachronistic and uh, and part of a of a dark period of America's past. I mean, I, I think that there's a an antagonism towards the Constitution of the Democratic Party now. And I, I don't know if you think that's too far, but that's what I see. I think that's exactly right. In fact, I think you can go farther and say that they think the Constitution, when it is used, it should be used to enact what they think society should look like. So, um, you know, when you talk to some progressive, the only time they talk about the constitutional rights of someone is when it comes to gay marriage and abortion. I mean, they're never going to mention, uh, you know, the Tenth Amendment or the Second or the First. Think about the gun debate recently. They wanted to literally allow people on, to be put on secret lists by the government and then deny them their Second Amendment right without even having a Fifth Amendment right for them anymore. I mean, uh, Hillary goes out there and says she wants to overturn the First Amendment to enact a law that will allow her administration to ban people from making documentaries about her next election. That is essentially what she's arguing when she wants to Can can I just chime in here real quick to say that your point is very well taken. Also, it was the government's – you're referring to Citizens United for everybody listening. It was the government's official position when asked in Citizens United, well, if you can ban documentaries within a certain period, couldn't you also ban books? The United States federal government said yes, that, that, that that would actually have to be part of this too. It couldn't just be documentaries. It would have to be books as well. You know who said that, by the way? So that was a solicitor general of the United States answering, I believe. It was yes. Elena Kagan, I think, who's now on the Supreme Court. I don't believe that they care about the First Amendment. I think that they don't believe rich people should have the same, same rights to speak. They want equality of outcome on everything. And it's a, it's, that's what we're talking about. I mean, I think that's a divergent view. What scares me more than that, because I believe that for a while, is that many people on the right are now acting the same way. And um, I think that that's a dangerous. Yeah, the, the that, sort of fight fire with fire mentality. Me Trump. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's this like they do it, so we need to do it, too. And, you know, we we're sick of losing. We want to be winners. Winners right. cheat and lie. So let's cheat and lie. <laughs> that's kind of the like idea. for me. The main issue is process. Like I care more about process than actual like a policy. And I want to preserve the process. To me, that's the most important thing here. And I, I just sense that, and I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. I'm just saying that I sense that most people don't agree with me. They just want to win. And um, maybe that's why I'm a loser and Donald Trump's a winner. Well, we'll, we'll see about, about the second <laughs> part of that in a few days, David. And we all think you're a winner. Let's, let's not have that sort of sad talk here. <laughs> not I want to ask no you about your piece. We're speaking to David Harsanyi, who's a senior editor for The Federalist. Um, wanted to get your, your take on... Because oh, I said Obama initially came out and was more or less supportive of Comey. And I was like, look, well, this is because if he starts hammering Comey, then everyone just turns around and says, OK, well, then appoint a special prosecutor, you know, genius. Go for it. Uh, now he is uh, going after Comey a little bit. So the door to me feels like it's open for him to say, OK, well, now now we know. Right. It should be special prosecutor time. And this seems to be what you're saying in your piece. Yeah, it'd be like Glenn Beck saying, boy, these blazing people are terrible. You know, I wish someone would do something about it, you know? I mean, he, he is the, he can fight, he can have anyone, I think he, he can fire Comey if he wants, basically, and he can, he can push for a special prosecutor. That's the reason he, he said that uh, he wouldn't get involved initially, or he said that Comey was an upstanding person. 
and an ethical person. And now this is clearly just for political purposes. This is exactly what liberals were crying about recently when, when they were saying that, you know, those who attack the FBI are, are corroding trust in institutions and so forth. So, um, yeah, he should name a special prosecutor. It, uh, and he, you know, if, if Hillary is not being treated correctly and the FBI is operating through in, innuendo and leaks, as he says, something's wrong at the FBI. This has to be fixed immediately and we should get a special prosecutor. I mean, we should have had a special prosecutor for this. It was going to me all along, especially given that it's, it's so clear to make a case about Loretta Lynch's impartiality. You know, we had Andy McCarthy on yesterday. We're talking about how it's Loretta Lynch's old office, the Eastern district of New York, where she hired all the senior, all the senior prosecutors. And they're all very tied into her too. That's been trying to uh, quash the investigation into the Clinton corruption uh, of the Clinton Foundation, never mind the, the, the uh, classified email stuff. It, there should have been a special prosecutor a long time ago, and they've appointed special prosecutors for a lot less than this. Right. I mean, in, in a couple of weeks ago, you know, when this whole when Comey sent his letter, you know, and, every, and everyone started panicking, all of a sudden everyone's really concerned about protocol. You know, but when Loretta Lynch met on a tarmac with someone who we now know was actually part, you know, was actually the focus of an investigation, uh, she had no problem doing that. The media didn't go bananas over it. Um, it's just a giant mess. I, I, you know, I think Comey had to send the letter. I think he was ethically obligated to do it when he ran across this new evidence. And it's only one person's fault that this is happening, Hillary. And uh, somehow we're back in the 90s and we're going to destroy anyone who gets in her way and their way. And uh, we're probably going to have four years of this. It's, it's, a, it's a disaster for America because the whole left is mobilized to normalize corruption and to rationalize and justify it. And it's, it's, it's a disaster if you care about the rule of law. Last question for you real quick, David, uh, just your take on have has the media and uh, the major mainstream media debased itself more in this election than in anyone anyone previously in order to get Hillary elected? I, I feel like they've been willing to just do at this point. They'll just do anything. Yeah, I absolutely think that that's true. Not every single person, but just generally speaking. Uh, I think it's a corrupt institution as well. I mean, what they've done here, and listen, I don't care how much you hate Donald Trump or you don't, the news is the news. And, you know, you should have the bandwidth to be upset by two candidates. You can, and they haven't. They, they've, in essence, I keep saying in essence, but they have explicitly said that they're acted in a biased way because they feel like one person is dangerous to the country as if it's for them to decide. It's, it's, it's a big problem because I don't think there's any way back from this. I don't trust them anymore. And I used to make excuses all the time for them that, you know, it's just a cultural thing, that they're not biased on purpose. It's just their sort of viewpoint and the prism they view the world through and, and that sort of thing. But now this is active campaigning, basically. So the right has to do something. They need to come up with their own organizations to push back. Uh, you know, something has to happen. This can't go on. Yeah, there's, uh, there's active campaign ridiculous. collusion underway with major media outlets, which is just... It's just too much. And the WikiLeaks things show that explicitly people do that. But yeah. I mean, you well, don't that's what I mean. Concerned in that way. Yeah. It's been I, mean, crazy. I mean, you can just follow people's leads. You don't have to, you know, email them even. And so you could still be biased. But yeah. David Harsanyi is a senior editor at The Federalist. Follow him on Twitter at David Harsanyi. Read his latest on TheFederalist.com. David, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Great to have you. Anytime. Thank you. Bye. Dame, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
Show. Phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. You can also send me messages at facebook.com slash Sexton. Watson in Florida, what is up? How you doing, brother? I'm all right, brother. Shield Todd, what's going on? Uh, with these new polls that have come out, specifically Colorado and uh, North Carolina, I wanted to know your opinion on uh, a couple of things. Um, one, Colorado is showing pretty much statistically tied. And to North Carolina, um, showing it a, cl- a close race. Do you think that the hidden vote with Trump can overcome half a point, a point, maybe a point and a half? And uh, my second question was, being that polls tend to skew towards urban populations simply for just the fact that more people are in urban areas, do you think that they are slightly skewed? And if it actually helps Hillary to show closer races in these swing states, um, more so than showing her with a comfortable lead. Okay, a couple of que- a couple of very good questions here. Let me make sure that I actually get into the uh, the meat of them. Uh, the the first one on the hidden vote. I've read a bunch about this. I, I can no one can tell you there's no such thing as a hidden Trump vote because we haven't had the you know we we don't, we just don't know. Uh, I, I, it, it stands to reason to me. That there could certainly be uh, there could certainly be a fair number of people who either don't you know who either aren't reflected in the polling for whatever reason, but also uh, who maybe see what's going on right now and are uh, on the undecided side of things may decide to go for Trump at the last minute, uh, and also don't want to talk to anybody about their support for Trump. It's they've really made it a like a moral issue, right? If you vote for Trump, you're a bad person. This is what you hear from people. Uh, well, so, like in North Carolina. Um, you know, the blue pockets there are centralized around all the universities and stuff where not only are you not going to say you're going to vote for Trump half the time, if you're smart, you just would keep your mouth shut. Right. I, mean, I can understand why people that, get skeptical of this argument because, you know, you're talking to a pollster who cares. But, you know, psychology is a tricky thing. And some people just don't want to, you know, they don't want to say it. It's like it makes it real if you say you'll vote for Trump. Uh, and your your question the question you pose about urban areas and how, uh, one, they might be oversampled, but also that there could be this effort to make the race seem closer because that's better for Hillary because you want they're going to want to drive turnout. Sure. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there was a time when this when the smart decision for the media was to make it sound like the race was all over and hope that that would that the perception would become reality. That didn't work. So now they're going to want to say, okay, well, let's push it to the very limit and let's make sure we get maximum turnout. And if Hillary were up by eight points in the polls, I don't think you would see that sort of a thing. But because she's not, now they sort of swing to the other side. They'll they'll go whichever way they have to to help Hillary win. You know what I mean, Watson? That's what I think is going on. I agree. All right, man. All right. Thanks, Buck. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you, brother. Take care. Uh, Phone line's still open. Team, uh, give us a call if you like. We're going to talk about some other stuff coming up here. Third hour, we're definitely mixing it up. Um, Got to really take a look at uh, a few issues. I, I think, I'm trying to think if we're going to do a buck brief today or tomorrow. I'm kind of on the fly here, coming up with ideas and thoughts. 888-900-3393. I do want to talk a little bit about the DOJ investigation, and then we'll move on to some other stuff. How about that? Back after this break. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
is the Buck Sexton Show. Okay, so I know we've talked a bit about uh, the uh, FBI and the Clinton Foundation's corruption and, and all of that stuff, but there's more about it. And if we're ever going to get it out there and if it's ever going to matter, I think now's the most important time possible to talk about it, right? I think we could probably agree on that. And the more we learn, the more obvious it becomes that there were efforts to slow and even stymie the investigation into the Clinton Foundation. A couple things I think are worth bringing up here. One is that this is a charity. Why is a charity the subject of an FBI corruption investigation? Just just start with that for a second. There are lots of public figures involved in charities. Only the Clinton Foundation, it seems, is a major charity tied to incredibly famous people that had to operate in this fashion where it was a a giant slush fund posing as a charity, right? It had the facade of a charity, but the innards of a for-profit and and corrupt for-profit venture, right? An illegal for-profit venture, really. They used, and this is what I think is so bothersome, they used uh, a charity as a cover story. I've said before they've polluted charitable giving, but they, that's what this really comes down to. The charity became the place where the money, you know, everybody can donate to charity, right? And then how that money is spent is up to the Clintons. And by the way, donate to the charity and also do some other stuff for us. And we're going to pretend that these are unrelated matters. The more you look into the DOJ findings, you see that there were very – or the DOJ reporting, the stuff that's come out on this – you see that there was very little interest. Usually, and these are just some sort of broad spectrum thoughts that I want to put out there before we get into the latest details. Um, usually, especially for attorneys general, uh, or I'm sorry, or, or U.S. attorneys, probably attorneys general too, but uh, but for attorney uh, for U.S. attorneys, corruption investigations or corruption prosecutions are great. They really like them. They really like them because it's an opportunity to show the public that the system works, that it's honest, that it functions, and there's a lot of political juice to squeeze out of holding the powerful to account. So U.S. attorneys across the country, when they can get, when they can grab a a Blagojevich or they can grab a, you know, name a high-profile public corruption prosecution, this is exciting stuff for them. It's also because, important to keep in mind, many U.S. attorneys uh, and others working in these prosecutors' offices, even at the lower level, have their own aspirations, whether in the private or the public sector. And what are the sorts of things that get headlines? What gets you attention? If you're a U.S. attorney for, let's say, the Eastern District of New York, which we'll return to in a second, which is out in Brooklyn here in New York City. If you are a U.S. attorney, do you, what, what gets you attention? Prosecuting terrorists? Yep, that, that, that'll get you some headlines. Uh, if you've got a guy who tried to blow up uh, you know, Times Square or you've got a guy who tried to do some terrorism prosecutions, those get the headlines, those get the attention, and they are feathers in the cap of the prosecuting attorney, assuming that they get a guilty conviction. What else goes into that category of, ooh, that's kind of a career maker? Not a lot of stuff. 
there are really only a couple of things. Um, and I've mentioned to you the show Billions, which I, I do recommend you, you watch, although it's a little risque in some parts. Uh, insider trading, holding the rich accountable. That's also exciting stuff, right? Showing that the rich don't have a separate set of laws to live by. Now, that's tough because insider trading, much like corruption, often goes into gray areas and you need people to flip and you need you know hard evidence. Although you'll see that, for example, Preet Bharara, who's this sort of now somewhat storied U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, has gone after both Democrat and Republican uh, polit- uh, political people for, uh, you know, public servants, so-called public servants, politicians. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you, Buck, for remembering your word. Um, he used wiretaps to get people for insider trading, which is usually the kind of stuff you you find with you know drug cartel investigations and looking into mafia stuff. But Preparar is like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna get these guys on tape talking about their inside dealings, and they did. And he and that's he's using all the tools at his disposal to do that. Now keep that in mind too. Using all the tools, that's another very important point we're gonna do here in a second. But so public corruption. Uh, Going after Wall Street and terrorism cases, thats those are basically the sexiest things you can prosecute as a U.S. attorney. And those are the kind of things that get you uh, on the fast track to becoming a governor. And maybe after that, running for, I don't know, I don't know Senate maybe for some people is less than being a governor, but depends on the state maybe. Uh, and maybe running for president, you know, maybe running the primary, run for the presidency. Right. And these are stepping stones and people who have devoted their lives to these different paths. You know, they have career aspirations. They have egos. And and this is how it it works. I'm telling you all this because when you look at that and you see how it usually works. Right. Public. Look at how look at the tenacity with which they have gone after Governor Chris Christie on this Bridgegate thing, which which I mean, it was hilarious and and insane at the same time, you had MSNBC running with the Bridgegate story like they were uh, like they were reporting on an actual alien and, you know, alien invasion, like the, the spaceships had landed and were coming for all of us. I mean, they were just they were hair on fire over Bridgegate. And you even have people that were trying to make the case that, well, slowing down traffic, you could you could slow down ambulances and therefore you're responsible for like deaths and things like that. And I was like, well, what about all those protesters who lie down the street and block traffic and even block major highways, you know, for Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street. Oh, that's a different thing. Yeah, right. But they went after Bridgegate with ferocity because of the target. Right. And that was look, it was very I think it was very politicized, but yeah, it is what it is. And they know that if they get Chris Christie, uh, they are going to get a lot of headlines and everything else. And that stuff matters in prosecutors offices. They've got limited resources. Well, they've got a lot of resources, especially at the federal level. Uh, and they want to go after those kinds of cases. So when you read about, and this is all of the, this is all a preface to get into this now. When you read about the way the DOJ and the people inside the DOJ were just dismissive of all allegations, all of the connecting of the dots to show that the Clinton Foundation was in fact corrupt, you got to think to yourself. They're really that disinterested in a case of this magnitude. This is the kind of stuff that people who are in prosecutors offices of prosecutors offices dream of having dropped in their lap. Right. This could be a career maker, 
Of course, with the Clintons, it can also be a career breaker. and I'm very aware of that. But there was a consistent refrain from inside of DOJ, based on all the reporting we're seeing, that FBI agents were like, look, this is really this is really interesting stuff. Let's go further. Let's go further. They're investigators. They want the tools to do it, and they want the okay from above to do it. And DOJ was always, man, uh, not interesting, nothing to see here. I don't want to hear about it. We got nothing. That was always the DOJ's response, which seems very curious, given what we've already established about how high-level corruption uh, prosecutions are pretty much the most exciting thing. Maybe a senior al-Qaeda or, you know, ISIS terrorism trial is is right alongside it. But uh, big corruption stuff, they love it usually. And if there's any hint of a very senior politician uh, getting sent away, look at what they did with Bob McDonald. They went after him and his wife. That was federal. That wasn't that wasn't state. That was federal prosecutors. Over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, maybe it's one hundred seventy five, something like that. One hundred seventy five thousand dollars of gifts. They made they made a literal federal case out of it. And at one point, he was facing eleven years in federal prison for one hundred seventy five grand. It was insane. And the Supreme Court, as you know, threw it out, overturned, overturned it. Uh, so they can decide to go after people. And look, McDonald was a governor, shortlist for the presidency, I mean, for the uh, vice presidency under Romney, if Romney had won, which he didn't. But So usually they get really excited about this stuff. At every step here, this is the Wall Street Journal reporting, you had FBI agents saying, hey, let's look more into this Clinton Foundation thing, and Department of Justice uh, prosecutors saying, eh, I don't think so, I think we're done here. In fact, they even used the term in this Wall Street Journal piece, stand, they were told to stand down. There's that phrase again, tied to Hillary Clinton in some way, stand down. They were told to, uh, to back off. Why would you tell FBI agents to back off of an investigation? They're just finding facts. What's the problem? I think we all know what the problem is. Uh, they also, and this is a very interesting thing. I, I, I've read the book Clinton Cash, and I recommend any of you who haven't, if you have the chance. It's a pretty quick read. It's maybe like 180, maybe 200 pages. I have it here in my bookshelf somewhere. Uh, I've read Clinton Cash by Peter Schweitzer, and it's very straightforward. Uh, he walks you through all the different ways that the Clintons make money and make a ton of money uh, for themselves and get this enormously powerful foundation going. And the sorts of favors that it seems they did for people. He just lays it all out for you. Just There's a pattern here. A pattern of somebody knows somebody who knows the Clintons. And then somehow a lot of money shows up at the Clinton Foundation. And then somehow a bunch of very highly paid speeches are offered to Bill Clinton. I mean, much higher than he was previously making. This is while his wife was Secretary of State. And then a favorable decision that involves the State Department comes down for one of the people that's either writing the checks or pushing somebody else to write the checks. Time and time again, there is a pattern. The pattern is established in Clinton Cash. It's a book. And FBI agents, from what we're told now, brought this up with DOJ. And DOJ was dismissive, or people in the DOJ were dismissive of this book because it's what? It's out there in the public. It's public, uh, open source public information. How damning could it really be? And some of the FBI guys are like, no, but but it, it checks out, and he's he's making all the he's making all the connections here. But we're supposed to think this is all a coincidence. We're supposed to believe that uh, somehow this is going to be uh, something that we're all just going to forget about. 
I mean, you think of a situation like Haiti, where after that earthquake, I mean, the the appalling human misery concentrated in one country. And the Clintons viewing this as an opportunity to expand their influence and, the, and grow their pocketbooks. I mean, they, they truly have no shame. None. And the people that spend their days, day in and day out, looking for high-profile cases of corruption to prosecute weren't even interested in the Department of Justice in allowing FBI agents to do what they do, be the bloodhounds that they are, and chase down the leads. They were told to stand down. They were told no. They were told back off. This is the sort of thing that happens in corrupt third world dictatorships. This is the sort of thing that happens in one party so-called democracies where there's really a strong man or a sort of central committee that runs the party, that runs the country, that it answers to nobody. And the arm, the justice arm of the government takes its orders from either that individual, that group, or that party. We're basically there in this country already. It's very upsetting. And I'm aware, I, I, and I completely agree with everybody who says that they want to throw their hands up in the air and say, what the what? But this is where we are with this DOJ. And oh, by the way, Eastern District of New York, that's uh, Loretta Lynch's old office. Do you think she's friends with the U.S. attorney there? Do you think she was responsible for the careers of some of the people in that office? They're the ones that didn't want to pursue this. Shockingly, Southern District of New York is like, wait, why don't we go after this a little bit more? Oh, but that's not Loretta Lynch turf, is it? Not the same way. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Rich and White Plains, what do you got for us? We got about a minute. A minute? Gee. Uh, a minute Thanks. and change. Go ahead, sir. Well, last time I called you, I tried to invoke some levity because it was pre Comey October surprise. And uh, at the beginning of your show that particular day, you were crying in your beer because all indications were that Trump was going to lose. And I'll use his words a uh, big time, you know. But um, first of all, uh, I would have been crying into my tequila because I can't drink beer, Rich. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean, right, Buck? But recently uh, in the news, I've been seeing that they've been beating up on John Kasich for not keeping his pledge to support the Republican nominee. You've you've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I wish that John Kasich would kind of just go away. What do you mean how I feel about that? I, I think that he didn't he didn't do what he said he was going to do, but I also think nobody really cares, and Kasich is governor of Ohio, and that's the end of it. Mm. Um, you don't find it curious that no news outlets would make the reference to the fact that Trump didn't want to take the pledge on the stage, then reluctantly signed the pledge, and then <clears throat> after that said he wouldn't honor the pledge if he wasn't treated fairly. You don't think that's significant? Not really, no. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's that significant. I don't think anybody at this point really cares. We're wondering if there's going to be a giant document dumped from Hillary's emails in the next 72 hours or so that might change the whole campaign. You want to, you want to talk about Kasich and a pledge? Really? Well, it was 
in the news book. I'm sorry. You know, I didn't make I don't make this stuff up. I just turn on the TV, you know. <laughs> Rich, always a pleasure, my friend from White Plains. Good to talk to you. Thank you for listening. Uh team, the phone lines are st- <laughs> The phone lines are still open. We're going to leave them open. 888-900-3393, hour three. We're going to switch up topics, I promise, and maybe a little more of that other stuff, but we'll, we'll mix it up. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. Welcome to our three in the Freedom Hut today. Great to have you here, as always. We're joined by Glenn Stanton. Glenn is a writer for the, or he he's written a piece for the Federalist. We're going to talk about. He's the director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family, and is the author of eight books on various aspects of the family, including The Ring Makes All the Difference. I think I'm going to have to pick up a copy of that one, Glenn. Uh, still, 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 no, <laughs> still no ring given out by me, so i gotta, I got to work on that. Yeah, and a couple for your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Just while absolutely. you're buying <laughs> we, it, right? We, 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 may have to, we may have to go into a little bit of The Ring Makes All the Difference, just out of my own curiosity here. But first, <laughs> I, want to talk, I want to talk to you about your piece, Five Damning Inconsistencies in Transgender Dogma. You write that gender theory is pure ideology. It is not based in any science or logical objectivity. Its proponents literally make it up as they go along, based solely on the way they wish nature were. Let's start with one out of five. Gender is a spectrum. This is false. Why? Yeah, well, primarily, I mean, just the, as you said, the whole gist of the article is these gender theorist people, I, I mean, it's governing our public policy, but they're just making it up. And the first point that I make is this, um, you know, basic orthodoxy for these guys is that gender is a spectrum. There are lots of different genders, as broad as the rainbow. But as I say in here, we all walk around, we observe people at the mall and downtown and things like that. How many other genders have you ever seen? It always comes down to two types, male and female. And there are lots of variations in terms of lots of good ways to be a good male or lots of ways to be a good female. But we always encounter, regardless of wherever we go in the world, only two models of humanity, and that is male and female. So, I mean, their, their gender is a spectrum thing doesn't even connect with what we observe every day, what we experience. So that one's false. Let's go with number two. Binary is bad, but L, B, G, and T, and Q, I think should be in there too, right? Require it. Yeah. Well, and the big thing is, I mean, if if you show up to class, to a gender studies class, and you say, I thoroughly believe that gender is binary, there's just black and white, male or female, this or that, um, you will be shouted down and laughed at because their basic dogma is, again, gender is the theory. But think about this, the LGBT um, alphabet soup. What is a lesbian? A lesbian is a person who likes women. They do not like men. And there is no category of people that they don't like. 
we understand it because of the binary. They like women. They don't like men. Same thing with gay. What is a gay man? He's a man who likes men. He doesn't like women. Those are the only two options. Um, think about bi, bisexual, okay? Bicycle, binary. I mean, it's binary in itself. It means you like both men and women. And then trans is the same thing, transatlantic, um, you're going from one place to another. You're transing from female to male or male to female. So even their own kind of acronyms and nomenclature points us to the binary system. And when you point these out to these people, um, they don't even see any kind of contradiction there. Again, because it's it's all just uh, an illumined – it's a it, – it's just not even connected into reality. And, and that's the you know, tragic thing for these people. But the tragic thing is that this is driving public policy and you know, information for our kids, what they're learning in school, things like that. And it's, it's sadly just baseless. Let's go with number three on the list. Male, female is not natural unless you're trans. Yeah, I mean, if you show up, again, to um, gender studies class in any college, they will tell you that male and female are just what they call cultural constructs. You're a male because the culture tells you that you should be a male, and this is how males act. You know, you encounter a female. She's a female because the culture demands that females act this way, that there's nothing natural, there's nothing intrinsic or given about being a male or a female. That is fundamental gender theory orthodoxy. But if we encounter a trans individual, a trans female like Bruce Jenner, then we're reminded, oh, no, no, she is, she has become, or Bruce has become the woman that she always has been. Now, see, male and female, in the general sense of things, they're just cultural constructs. But if you're a trans woman or a trans man, no, that is deeply, intrinsically, naturally who you are. And they can't have it both ways. I mean, again, it is just an embarrassing contradiction in their own theory. And I mean, if, if you refuse to call a trans male or a trans female he or she, I mean, you are slimed as a bigot because no, the he or she is actually who they are rather than, you know, the appearance that they will tell us you or me or any other woman that we know is. I mean, it's, it's, it's just remarkable. And number four, androgyny is natural. Yeah, the big thing that we get is, well, gosh, I mean, you know, you see that people are naturally androgynous. There's male and female, and yes, there's beyond the binary. There's people who are just androgynous. They're neither male nor female. But we have to see in terms of, like, fashion, um, one, there are no androgynous clothing stores. And, you know, whenever you see something that seems androgynous, like, well, a woman wearing a tie and kind of a man's suit, there's always a feminine look to it. And nobody thinks, gosh, I mean, look at that woman. She just needs to, you know, feminize it a bit. No, there's, there's this feminine nature. And if you're going to be truly androgynous, like we think about David Bowie back from the day, you know, he had to go to great trouble to affect that kind of look of, is he a guy, is he a girl? 
Androgyny is not natural. It requires great intentionality, and it is in itself a cultural construct. It is not naturally occurring. Last one, number five. My little boy is actually a girl. What's going on here? Yeah, well, we hear that all the time. And, and, you know, the way this is set up is say you're a school administrator or a principal, a, a teacher, and, you know, this parent brings in this little child and says, you know, my little boy, Johnny, um, looks like a boy, but actually he's Joan. She's a, she's a girl. He identifies as a girl. And they demand that you play along with that kind of um, – you know, make-believe way of, of doing things. And if you don't play along with it, then you're a hateful bigot being mean to the child. But what we know from the leading scholars, not conservatives or not pro-family people, but even people from the um, Netherlands Gender Identity Clinic, one of the biggest places in the world, they do not recommend that we play along with kids who misidentify as the other gender. Because here's what they say, that the research is very clear on this, that little boys or little girls who think they're the opposite sex, up to 98% of them, anywhere from 78 to 98% of these kids will readjust and start to identify with their natural gender by the time they hit puberty. So these people at the um, the... Amsterdam Gender Identity Clinic, they say that if you go along with these kids and say, okay, we're going to play along with, you know, you little boy that you're actually a girl, these kids are going to reverse, and then the adults are going to have to play along with and help these kids make the transition back in their later years, which is going to be very difficult. So, no, there's no science whatsoever um, that indicates that, yes, a little boy can be, you know, born in the wrong body or a little girl can be born in the wrong body. These are things that happen in the mind, and most of these kids snap out of it by the time they hit puberty. So we shouldn't, as school administrators, as parents, as people in the community, be bullied by the gender theory logic that, oh, no, you need to respect what this child actually is. It's, it's just a false kind of politics rather than any kind of science. And each of these five things actually go contrary to some of the most important scientific develop, developments that we've been making in the last 10 years. None of this is based on science. It is all based on sheer ideology, and it keeps changing with every given week. It's why we have such a hard time. People ask, well, gosh, is it LGBT? Is it LGBTQ, QI, you know, all those different things. It just keeps changing under our feet because these people want it to change, and they want it to just keep expanding to go along with their radical philosophy that gender doesn't really matter. Why do you think there's such nastiness that often comes with this discussion, meaning that the progressives who are constantly changing the language and even will attack each other over not using the proper pronoun or whatever the case may be, uh, they're, they're not looking to make converts. It seems to me they're always looking to burn heretics at the stake on these transgender issues. And that's politically a loser, but but is it because they've just this is like the final frontier of the left getting their way on these issues, and they're they're just deciding to push for 
the maximum? Why are they, this is just a long way of saying, why are they so mean about this stuff? Well, you know what? That is the big, big question. And, and you said something very important. Oh, and there, by the way, just one thing. Not transgender people. I'm talking about actually just the progressives that always pretend that this is some issue they really care about who aren't themselves transgender. But go ahead. Sorry. You, you know what? No, no, no. First of all, that's very right. As I interact with transgender individuals, they are typically very gracious, very yes. broken. They'll talk to you about hurt it. individuals. Exactly. And they're not like these these radical kind of activists. There are certainly those, but the ones that you just meet here and there, they're, they're very kind of tender-hearted people. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with what's going on inside of them. But you're right. It's the elites. It's the, um, you know, the progressive elites that are demanding. And you said that as they're making progress in our culture, they get more bold. Well, they made progress because of their false distinction of there's loving, insightful, open-minded people on, on one side, and then there's the bigoted, hateful, closed-minded people on the other. I mean, you look at young people and you give them that choice, which one are they going to go with? It is absolute um, bold-fisted demand. I mean, it is, it is a fascism, if you will, to say, you will play by our rules or else. We will slime you. We will bring you into court. We will denounce you. We will destroy your businesses. We will destroy your public reputation. And that's the question that you're asking is, why is that the case? And here's what I think. As a Christian, and let me be very careful with this, is Satan is not behind all the individuals. I mean, it's not that the individuals are evil necessarily, but Satan is behind this movement. And Satan cannot help but overplay his hand. Evil cannot help but overplay its hand. And you said it as well. I mean, people are kind of seeing this nastiness. Okay, I voted, you know, I was for same-sex marriage. I thought that was about Frank and John next door just wanting to get married. I was on for that. But this whole gender stuff and the bathroom stuff and... You know, my kid having to recognize in school that this little boy is actually a little girl, you know what, never signed on for that kind of stuff. And I think it's, it's, they're overplaying their hand. And it's not let us convince you or let us persuade you, but we will shame you into agreeing with us. And that's exactly what we're seeing on campuses today, in our communities, in our workplaces. And that's why I wrote this article, is to explain that these things are not even rooted in reason or scientific thinking or any kind of objectivity. It is just... It's there's a hysteria like behind the wind. it. Yeah, there's, 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 there is a hysteria, and it's well, a we got it. We unfortunately hysteria. we have to leave it there. But actually, could we hold you through to just tell us a little bit about about your book? The ring makes all the difference. I want to know. So, do you have a minute? Can yeah, you stay yeah. with us? You bet. All right, yeah. we got Glenn Sten. He's the director of Global Family Formation at Focus on the Family. He's going to talk to us about his book, The Ring Makes All the Difference. On the flip side, stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network.
All right, we're with Glenn Stanton from Focus on the Family. We talked about his piece on The Federalist, but now I want to ask him about his book, The Ring Makes All the Difference. Uh, I, I'm still one who needs to, you know, needs to get this whole ring thing going at some point, Glenn. So why does the ring make all the difference? You only got a few minutes here, but I wanted to hear about this. Yeah, it's just a, a quick research book that looks at a lot of the compelling reasons for why marriage benefits us. And it's, I mean, in every way that we know how to measure happiness and well-being and productivity and, you know, earning on the job and keeping a good job, um, those people that have rings on their fingers tend to do better um, than other people in all other relationships. The other part is it kind of makes a case against cohabitation. That cohabitation does not resemble marriage in terms of these outcomes. And so especially for women, cohabiting is not a good idea. It doesn't work out for them. And the woman who is married, the woman who has a ring on her finger, is a more powerful player in the relationship than... um, you know, somebody, uh, that woman living in a, in, a, in a cohabiting relationship. So that's what the book does, um, and it just goes through that and explains from a, you know, leading mainstream research point of view of, of why marriage is significant and why it's important. I mean, I'm here in New York City where cohabitation, because of the price of rent, is, uh, is, is incredibly commonplace. And, and for people, a lot of the time, who, who think that marriage is going to follow it, but there, I'm assuming your research shows there's a downside to that, or is that okay? Is that okay? Oh, well, what? Yeah, no, 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 it's not a good idea. And here's the deal. I mean, they've done this research uh, looking at men and women. And you ask men in a cohabiting situation, where's the future? And they're like, we're just hanging out. We're having fun. Just, you know, we'll see what happens. The women are more likely to think that cohabiting is going to lead to marriage. Now, I mean, it's it's the thing that our grandmothers told us, you know, about the cow and the milk. The guys are just hanging out, having fun. The woman, bless her heart, she thinks it's leading somewhere, but it's not. And so she is holding out false hopes, and the guy is just stringing her along. It's the powerful woman that says, I'll be glad to move in with you, but I want a ring first. I want a wedding. I want cake. I want a honeymoon. I want everything. When I get that, then I'll be glad to move in with you. That's the powerful woman. All right. Glenn Stanton, we really appreciate you staying through. Glenn is the author of The Ring Makes All the Difference. He's also at Focus on the Family, and you can check out the piece that we discussed about transgender uh, myths and issues and such on thefederalist.com. Glenn, great of you to call in and to stay through. We appreciate it. Hey, you bet. Thanks, Buck. Yeah, a lot of of cohabitation here in New York City. It's a very, very commonplace thing. Most of my, I think most of my friends uh, that are my contemporaries, or at least within a few years of my age, have at some point cohabitated. Sometimes it, it, it does lead to marriage, but sometimes it does not. And I can imagine uh, interesting statistics that one could pull up on all of that. So so we'll see. And on the transgender thing, I think one of the more important points we got to was that notion that transgender people, in my experience, uh, will talk to you about this stuff. And if you show basic human respect, curiosity, and, and decency, it's, it will be reciprocated. Uh, it's the social justice warriors in media, on campus, and wherever – who are the ones and who are not transgender, who are the ones who will call out people and shame them and humiliate them and want them fired and all this other stuff, even for what would be considered a good faith error under any circumstances about how they deal with or speak about uh, transgender issues and, and all the rest of it. So 
Uh, I, I, and you see this with other things, too, by the way. I mean, the, the people that the SJWs, the social justice warriors, are uh, they exceed the outrage of the class of people for whom they are outraged as a that's a general rule. Right? You'll never see anybody who's, you know, upset about the plight of, uh, you know, illegal immigrants from such and such a place as a white middle class student at Hampshire College who thinks that he's got a, you know, a microphone to yell into. So anyway, no surprises there. Phone lines are open, team. Would love to talk to you. If you got a minute, 888-900-3393. We've got much more coming. Back right after this break. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So there was a shooting I didn't get a chance to talk about earlier in the week, and I didn't want anyone to think that I was, uh, you know, unaware or didn't get into it. Two police officers killed, two Iowa policemen killed by a guy who, you know, fits the profile of, uh, you know, what is this, a kind of a crazy, crazy guy, racist guy, um, and he ambushed two officers. And immediately on social media, what you see is people saying, oh, well, let's see if this gets covered the same way that Black Lives Matter, uh, some of the Black Lives Matter individuals who have gone out and shot police officers or ambushed police officers, you know, got a lot of nationwide coverage. And and I, I think this is a a repeating theme where people see something, they see an incident that fits a certain narrative and they work very hard to try and elevate that to being a bigger problem uh, or a more widespread problem, I should say, than it is as a means of trying to fit in to wh- whatever it is that their sort of worldview or view of what's going on in this country and all the rest. Uh, so let me just speak about it in this context, then I'll speak about how I feel like this plays out in others as well. Uh, you have this individual who seems he's had lots of uh, interaction with, you know, interaction. He's had some arrests in the past, and he seems like a sort of a, an unstable, unhinged guy. And there will always be unstable and unhinged individuals who engage in violence, who are a threat to society, who will do any number of bad things. We can never entirely get rid of that. That will always be there. The, the question that comes, though, is this individual responding to a specific set of signals that have been receiving a lot of promotion and a lot of uh, credence from legitimate sources, be it the media, be it the White House or elsewhere. So when you see somebody like this guy, I'm trying to see his name here. I forget what it is. Oh, Scott Michael Green, uh, who killed two police officers, ambushed and killed two police officers in Iowa. Uh, He had previously run around at a football game, I think, with a Confederate flag in front of – well, everybody was there, but a number of African-Americans who obviously were uh, very annoyed, to say the least, by that. And this guy has had other incidents where he's been arrested and such. Uh, he's not, you know, killing two police officers is a, is a capital crime in, in many states. Uh, it's it's horrific on, on every level. I don't think anybody, it, anyone needs there to be a sort of a, more of a 
of a chorus of that. There's nothing more clear. I mean, there's nothing more obvious than, I mean, murder in general is a heinous crime, but killing two police officers uh, also sort of undermines uh, our sense of safety and the integrity of the state, and and there's an additional layer to it. Um, But he's not killing two police officers, at least not that we know of, because there is a legitimate or legitimized political movement out there that has received the blessing of, well, the most powerful politicians in the country, as well as much of the media, that is creating the context for this kind of violent action. Uh, meaning that he's not, he didn't do this. And I'm just saying, this is why it's it's not a an intellectually consistent position to say, well, why don't you cover this guy the way that uh, the, or, or why don't you take the same approach to this individual's motivations uh, as you would the motivations of somebody who says they're doing – who's killed a police officer on behalf of or, or because of the rhetoric of Black Lives Matter? And it's, it's very different. I mean, it's, it, it's a one-off versus somebody in response to a political movement that does have some degree of credibility conferred on it by very uh, – very powerful sources, including media in the White House and others. Uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that they explicitly call for violence, but meaning the White House or the media or, or the government and the media. But there were explicit calls for violence from within Black Lives Matter that were not condemned by those same sources that were constantly telling us that there are legitimate grievances. So when you line these two things up and you start to see the differences, it's there's there's no constituency out there that has uh, any legitimacy that anybody would ever point to and say yeah they, they've got a, they've got a point here or something that this that this guy who went out and shot two police officers was sort of acting on the on their rhetoric or was acting in response to their rhetoric that doesn't exist i mean this is sort of this now reminds me and this is why i i seized on this issue for a second of the the debate we always have in this country over you know a a guy who goes into a uh, a store and shoots uh, shoots a couple of people, or let, let's say it goes into a Planned Parenthood clinic, make this even more clear, and shoots a couple of individuals uh, versus the jihadist who wants to go and, and plant a bomb somewhere and, and blow up people here in, in Chelsea, right where, you know, right nearby where I live in Manhattan. Uh, what you see here is on the one hand, you've got somebody who is universally condemned and is acting uh, on his own and outside the law without... A, a, a base of support, either at home here in America or around the world, uh, that legitimizes his actions, supports his actions, and says that what he's doing makes him a hero, makes him a, you know, a martyr. When you talk about the threat from jihadism, from jihadist terrorism, you do have this massive infrastructure of the jihadists all over the world who are, there are millions of them, and they have a lot of resources, they have a lot of money, and they support an attack in New York City that kills innocent people. They they advocate for this. They think that this is a good... They think there should be more of this. And many of them do so openly and say so openly. And they have cultures... Uh, all you have to do is go and look at some of the interviews and the documentaries and such that have been made of suicide bombers in the West Bank. And there is the elevation of this cult of death that you know is pushing people to take action on behalf of the jihad around the world. And so that's why it's more of, this is where you start to get in the difference between a one-off and a strategic threat, right? I, I, somebody can stand around and say, I pray to the, you know, to the God Zorg and I'm going to go and, and murder a whole bunch of people 
Um, and, and technically, because they're standing in the way of whatever my agenda is. And, and yeah, you could say that is, uh, that is terrorism, right, if it's in pursuit of some kind of a political agenda. But we, we are less concerned with it, not in the sense that it's not still, if he kills people, it's still murder, it's still terrorism. But it doesn't have the same impact on our psyche because it's not tied to something much bigger. It's not tied to an organized group or an organized ideology that has adherence, that has uh, sort of political wings, that has people apologizing for it, because that actually becomes not just a strategic threat. It really can, over time, become an existential threat to our way of life. I mean, I remember sitting in a meeting where we were talking about the number of people killed in, I forget what this, I think it might have been Detroit, but the sort of a U.S. city that had a lot of people killed over a period of time, and the number of people killed by suicide and car bombings in an Iraqi city. And we were just sort of going back and forth on this. And the numbers were, were actually pretty close. But we all also were willing to agree that, for one, you have to have a, a there was a huge uh, amount of resources and effort put in place to try to stop those suicide bombings. And yes, there are police forces in Detroit and they're trying to stop things too. But when you had a military occupation trying to stop the suicide bombings, uh, but also... A, a drug deal that's gone bad or, or drug dealers fighting over turf or whatever, yes, people still die. It's still terrible. Uh, but that doesn't have the same capacity, especially because it tends to be limited to certain parts of a city, certain areas. And then you have to, of course, increase your police presence to terrify people um, in a wide, you know, in a widespread sense or across the entirety of a city. As not that it can't do that. I mean, it can and crime can become its own form of terrorism if it's if it's systematic enough and widespread enough. But when you look at a crowded marketplace and 10 people get blown to smithereens because they're trying to go buy potatoes and out of nowhere they get they get killed. It's everybody else that has to think about that now that's also impacted by it. And it's the recognition that there are car bomb factories operating still and there are people that are going to continue to do this. And it, it, it is intended to instill widespread fear. You know, a drug dealer who shoots somebody over a, a, in a turf war, yeah, he wants his rivals to feel fear. But people who live on the other side of town or people who are sort of just driving through once in a while aren't going to necessarily be as psychologically impacted by that as, OK, we just blew up the main market in town that everybody goes to. So I just think that, that it's important if we're, when we talk about these sorts of incidents um, because everyone see everyone tries to rush to create some sort of a narrative and they want this to fit into a certain uh, you know set of circumstances that fit their political beliefs and they want to mold all this stuff. It's like, well, is this something that happens continuously? Is it something for which there is there is broader support or is this just evil acting out with either an individual or maybe a small group of individuals? And it's not a threat. It's not a broader threat to our society. And, and it doesn't receive blessing from on high within our society either. And these are the sorts of distinctions that I think if we're going to report honestly on these things or if we're going to put them in context, we're going to analyze them properly. These sorts of distinctions that we have to make. Uh, and I think it's only fair that we do so. So that's uh, I, I didn't want to not talk about this ambush of these officers because, it again, I, I don't skip on I don't skip things that are major news stories because. They're going to be hard for me to talk about or they don't fit into some sort of a narrative. Uh, I just don't think that there's a uh, there's this. I think one of the officers who killed was white. I don't know if the other one was also white or was black. I know one of them was a white officer, but some uh, you know racist lunatic shoots a couple of people. 
this is universally condemned. No one thinks this is okay. This is heinous. It's vile. It's evil. And he should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. When somebody shoots uh, a cop and they do so and they say, I'm doing this because of because young black men are being killed by cops all across the country every day. The media is saying that that's happening and senior politicians are saying that that's happening and lending credibility to it. And that's a much bigger problem when you have that going on. It's much more likely to continue and it's much more corrosive to the broader society. It's my opinion. 888-900-3393. Back in a few minutes. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Maybe I won't get cable after all. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. Not a place I often go for news or for stories to talk about here on the show, but I just, I, I need a mental break from the election to close out the close out the show today. I just, a segment on something non-election or, not, you know, that's not depressing would be nice. Trying to find some stuff for tomorrow, by the way, but it's tough. We're getting so close to the election that at this point it's increasingly difficult to uh, to escape the election news cycle vortex. Uh, but here's something interesting from The Hollywood Reporter, because I am thinking about getting cable. I don't know how many of you are cord cutters. I, I haven't had I didn't have a TV until this past Christmas. And as courtesy of my little sister. Uh, and I still don't have anything other than uh, Internet sort of enabled smart TV situation. Um, but I'm thinking about getting cable, although I don't know. It's expensive, but I, I'm thinking about getting cable. But what I see here in The Hollywood Reporter is that almost half of Americans say they can't find something good to watch on TV. And that over the last six over the last six years, mobile viewing has surged eighty five percent, while viewing on fixed screen TVs has declined fourteen percent. So there's more TV available, they say here, and more are paying for the privilege. But forty four percent of users in the U.S. complain there's nothing worth watching. Yeah, this is I'm amazed at there's this weird nothing can really explain this to me. I look I look on Netflix and I'm looking for something to watch. And I've yeah, I've done Narcos, I've done Daredevil, I've been through Bloodline, I've been through the good stuff already. I mean, if you if you have any suggestions, by the way, that I'm not, I've, Last Kingdom loved it. Uh, wondering when they're going to make another season of it. I'm amazed at how much crap there is, though. That this this is stuff that got made. I mean, th- these are projects sometimes where a lot of money was spent. They hired actors, uh, allegedly in some cases. It's not really clear based on the product, but. They would have hired screenwriters and people to, uh, you know, have a hand in all that. And they just put out this product that is absolutely unwatchable garbage. Absolute and total garbage. I tried to watch uh, with a lady friend recently. tried to watch, uh, what was it called? Cloverfield. And, uh, you know, it's about a monster that sort of attacks New York. Sounds like a cool concept. The camera work is so shaky that it would give you nausea from at least I think it could give you nausea from watching this thing and made like over $150 million. And like, and this, it was on a Netflix, or whatever it was on one of those things where you can get something and, and one of those digital choice things. And I have to say, I'm, I'm just astonished at how much crappy, how many, how many crappy movies there are, how many crappy TV shows there are. And um, this is my way of saying, I'm sort of crowdsourcing. If you've got any ideas for, 
something that is not already very, very, you know, up on the radar for people. Like I'm trying to watch HBO's Westworld and I'm finding it to be a, a little convoluted. And I think it's trying. Uh, I think it's trying really hard. I mean, I'm not done with it yet. Like I, I bailed on Walking Dead. I didn't watch that last weekend. But it's Westworld is based on a, actually Michael Crichton directed show, and I think he was also the creator of it back in the early '70s. And there was Rome, Roman world, medieval world, and West Westworld, which is like you know old West American old West gunslingers and stuff. And they they clearly have this Deus Ex Machina thing going on. And I just I just feel like they spent a hundred million dollars on the show. I mean, how about I don't I, I shouldn't be watching this saying, wait, what's going on? Who is that? What's happening? Who? What? So who? What? What? Like Archimedes, the owl. Very strange to me. This is a situation. So if you've got any good ideas for shows, because I feel like I'll be watching some Netflix this weekend because I've got a wild social life. Uh, send it to me on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton uh, or and that includes also HBO Go and some of the other digital platforms that people use for all this stuff. So, um, oh, that music means that we are at time for today's show. Tomorrow, Freestyle Friday, going to be awesome. Uh, how awesome? You're just going to have to tune in to see. Uh, please do uh, download the show, share it with some friends. Always appreciate when you do that. Looking forward to hanging out with you for three hours tomorrow, as always. Team, enjoy the rest of your afternoon, your evening, your night. Until tomorrow, my friends. Shields high. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh.